This past week, I was, I was really challenged by uh, two sermons that, I, that kind of reference the same uh, passage of Scripture that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. And it challenged me. Because what they, what they were talking about resonated. I know they referenced that Scripture, but what they were talking about resonated with the things that I have wrestled with in, in, in recent years, actually. When, I mean, when I mean, when I say wrestle, I mean it's something that, that has challenged me, bothered me, but frustrated me too, weighed me down. But it challenged me because it motivates me as a pastor to teach the Word. Because it's a trend that, that seems to be, unfortunately, getting more and more popular, in, especially in the Western world, I feel. And it's this whole idea, and you've heard me probably say this before, with this whole idea of living a Christian life and Christianity out of, uh, out of convenience, rather than a Christianity that is born from a strong commitment to Christ. And more and more churches and uh, more and more churches have just bought into this lie almost. Bought into this whole Christianity of convenience and it's alarming. It really is alarming how many people you meet, how many people I have met. They all go to church but they're commitment to God is something else now like I said now more than ever before I feel the church has bought into this for where you see people and churches who've bought into uh, into this idea that they can pick and choose what parts of Christianity and the Christian walk and the word is okay for them and what parts they can you know what that's just there let's just keep it there Which parts of Christ they really want to follow and which ones they, the, you know, and when to follow them just to make Jesus a little more palatable, palatable, I guess, to everybody else. And the truth is, in our efforts to make Christianity less offensive and, and to make it acceptable and, and attractive and Many have diluted what it really means to follow Christ. Christianity was never meant to be cool. In fact, I feel it was almost always repulsive. You know, Sam and me were talking about it the other night. And, and it's kind of funny because Charlie and me started talking about it too. About the same thing when we were here on Friday. Because the... The horror of the crucifixion, the horror of the crucifixion and the hope that, we, that is symbolized by the cross is so lost in today's world. Because we've reduced the cross to an accessory and that's it. No, I've talked about this before and I'm not against decorating your houses with crosses and, or wearing a cross as jewelry, but please don't 
ever reduce the cross to something that just looks pretty and is cool. Cross, and you've probably, again, you know my heart in this, you've heard me say this, the cross was never meant to be a fashion statement. Never meant to be a fashion statement. Following Christ was never meant to be fashionable. In fact, it was the exact opposite. I mean, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And the people walked away because they thought to themselves, who in the world wants to bear a cross? Especially in that world back then. I mean, the very idea of being brutalized and humiliated on a cross was, was enough to turn them away. And, and if that wasn't enough, he says, you know what? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing. I mean, you can't be part of me. And that made them all gag. I mean, what kind of cannibalistic cult is this guy talking about? And they walked away because the message he talked about was repulsive to them. Yet today we want to make it like this nice, crazy, attractive fruit that everybody can just come and take and grab. Not painting a dark picture. I'm not trying to freak everybody out. And Christianity is not a weird religion, if you want to call it that. Following Christ is not, you know, I don't want you to take something like to eat my blood and drink my flesh and just walk away thinking, what a bunch of weirdos, really. What are they talking about? Or walk away thinking, what so in. Because we're not willing to compromise the word that these guys are all intolerant or old-fashioned or, you know, it's just not cool. But listen to me, because if you read the word for the way it is, it was never, never meant to be cool. It was not like an attractive sales pitch for someone. It was not glamorous at all. And I promise you, following Christ is not weird. It's totally worth it. It is totally worth it. But please know what it is you are and who it is you are following. Bear with me today if it feels like a rant, but I don't want, and hear me out, I say this with humility, I don't want any church I pastor to ever be found guilty of not knowing what we really believe and what we follow. If you don't really know what you are following or are not convinced about what and who you are following, you will never make a total commitment. You can never be committed to it if you don't really know. Will we totally understand? I don't think we will totally understand. We have the whole of eternity to understand it. But you got to realize that this form of Christianity is the biggest threat. This is what's killing the church. Not, I'm not talking about Radiant Life Church. I'm talking about the church in general. Because there are not enough Christians who are committed to Christ. Totally committed to Christ. And one of the books that has challenged me, it's a book that was, I mean, it's been around for a while. And I think I gave someone a copy of it, just my copy of it just recently. Charles Stanley talks about confronting casual Christianity. I know I've probably referenced that several times. But he asks the question and which challenged me, why do you suppose we have, we have close to 100, 100 million churches in America right now? 
Why do you think we are not making more of an impact in our culture? And he goes on to write and he says the answer is tragically simple. God's people have made a decision about Jesus but never made a commitment to him. It's absolutely amazing if you stop to think about what he's saying. Because there are too many Christians that have made a decision about Jesus but very few of them have made a commitment to him. And there's a big difference between making a decision and making a commitment to him. Because making a decision, sometimes people are okay making that decision. I make that decision and I know what I'm doing. I make the decision to ask Jesus into my heart. I make that conscious decision. But now, Lord, I'm going to live my own life till you come back and take me home. There's a difference between the two. People are okay making that decision. But making that commitment to live for Christ all the days of their life is totally different. We all know about how Christians today, I mean, being a Christian today is bringing definitely more and more persecution. And, and I know that's true. But again, I earnestly and honestly feel that the greatest threat to the church isn't the persecution on the outside. It's the apathy and indifference in the church. Casual Christianity is the biggest threat to church right now. For me, it's like this disease that we need to be aware about and deal with and avoid. And uh, if you've, uh, George Barna, I mean, if you've, he's one of the guys who writes a lot of statistics about church and he's written a lot. And George Barna, he, he describes casual Christianity this way. Casual Christianity is a faith in moderation. It's faith in moderation. It allows them to feel religious without having to prioritize their faith. Christianity is a low-risk, predictable proposition providing a faith perspective that is not really demanding anything at all. A casual Christian can be all things that they seem, that they esteem. A nice human being, a family person, religious, an exemplary citizen, a reliable employee, and, and, never, and never have to publicly, publicly defend or represent a difficult moral social positions or even lose much sleep over their private choices as long as they do their best. From their perspective and their brand of faith practices genuine, and this is something he says, their brand of faith practice is genuine, realistic, and practical. To them, casual Christianity is the best of all worlds. It encourages them to be a better person than if they had been irreligious, I guess. Yet it is not a faith into which they feel compelled to heavily invest themselves in. Because they think they got the best of both worlds. Because all they are trying to do is to be good. You know, do all this great stuff. But there is no, no real commitment. Because that kind of Christianity makes no demands on our lives. Yet if you see what Jesus, Jesus challenges them all the time. You're either all in or nothing at all. Which brand of Christianity do we, do we want to follow? As you, 
as we get into the word, and this is a passage, a very familiar passage that almost all of us have probably, I mean, many of us have probably memorized. And I know I, had, I pulled out my notes from like years, I think, to pull this together. Romans 12, it says, therefore, Romans 12, the first two lines, the first two verses. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Church, the challenge is, is right there staring us in the face. It's all in or nothing. All in or nothing. Not part of us, but all of us. That's what he wants. Not just part of us, but all of us. Every area of our life. If you look through scriptures, you know, you, this is such a, such a, especially in the book of Romans, it's such an important verse in the whole narrative as such, in the whole uh, letter that he writes. Romans chapter 12, if you, it, it, it hinges, it's one of those points, and we know, I can think about Paul going to Damascus, there's this one encounter he has on the road to Damascus, and as soon as he has this encounter, his life is never the same anymore. It's like uh, the whole trajectory of his life is changed all of a sudden because he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. I think about David. He's doing his own thing. And then all of a sudden he has this encounter with the prophet Samuel and he's anointed. And then from then, from that moment on, his whole life is changed in a different direction. And I think as we come and read Romans chapter 12, we need to change. And if we consider what it really says and, and grasp even in a little measure, what it really says, it will change the way we live our lives as Christians and disciples of Christ, if you want to put it that way. Again, I said, like many of us have memorized this, but we need to really get a hold and challenge ourselves, not just once, repeatedly challenge ourselves with this scripture. We got to learn to, and I've, the need to study the word as it, said, as it is. Not just memorize scripture. Memorizing scripture is great. Don't get me wrong. But more than just memorizing scripture, we need to study scripture also. Anyway, Paul's letter. If you read the letter to the, to the Romans, you see that several times he uses the phrase therefore. Paul makes a lot of therefore statements actually in here. And in the beginning, the first five chapters of, of Paul is one whole, uh, one, uh, what we call, one thought basically in the first five chapters of Paul. Where he talks about, mainly about salvation in terms of the depravity and how far man has fallen. Yet he talks about how God rescues them. And then he concludes that whole portion of scripture in 5.11 basically talking about, therefore we have peace with Christ. A peace with God through Christ. 
He concludes that whole section talking about that. And then again, from 6, 7, and 8, you talk about uh, Christian living. He talks more about Christian living and security in Christ. And then again, in verse about our security, he concludes the statement in 8 verse 1. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This bold proclamation that he makes at the end of that chapter as he's talking about there's no condemnation. Right at the end he says, therefore nothing can separate us from God, uh, from the love of God. And then again as he comes to chapter 12, you see again there's this next therefore statement right there in chapter 1, um, in verses 1 and 2. Where he says, therefore I urge you brothers. And if you pay attention to the way the book of Romans is structured or the the letter to the Romans is structured, you'll find that very often there's a vertical aspect where he talks about God and us and how God works in us. But then there's also this horizontal aspect which talks about our responsibility. And here up till now, till chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, he's talking about God and us. And right now in 12 onwards, he talks about us and our service and our responsibility going on from there. But to prepare us for, to serve and to be, you know, he talks about, he starts off with this responsibility in verse 1 and 2. And if you separate these two verses, it's pretty simple. It talks about two things. And I don't know if I've shared this, I've heard this before. Number one deals with consecration. Verse number two deals with uh, transformation. Consecration and transformation. The The first verse basically looks around us. The second verse basically challenges within us. I don't, and I'd really encourage you and I want to challenge you to allow these two, to give yourselves to these two verses as you walk with God. Because I promise you, your life will never be the same. This portion, it starts with Paul's passionate appeal. Really, and you can see it here. It's, it's kind of like he's on his knees. I urge you. Therefore, I urge you, I beseech you, I plead with you. Different, I was going through the different versions, translations here. I urge you, I beseech you, I plead with you. The Greek word here is actually parakalov, from where basically it's almost the same idea of the paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit. The idea of something coming alongside, you know, the Holy Spirit coming alongside. And he uses the same kind of, the Greek language is parakalos. It's as though someone's coming alongside, he's coming alongside you. It's not someone standing outside on the wall and saying, hey, slow down, I beg you, stop. It's someone who's coming alongside you and holding on to you and kind of holding on to you and begging you, now, stop. I urge you. That's his, his motivation right there. His plea, his earnest plea. And remember, this plea is not made to the people outside. His plea is made to the church, to the believers. I urge you now. I urge you. And it starts with, again, please remember, this is for us who already have faith in Christ, who proclaim Christ as our Savior. And it starts with consecration. Verse 1 talks about consecration, and one preacher defined consecration as a radical separation from a secular worldview to a godly purpose and mindset. Radical separation from a secular worldview. To a godly purpose. Now again, this doesn't happen automatically when you become a believer. 
Please remember, there's always a partnership here. Just because you accept Jesus as your Savior doesn't automatically assume, doesn't mean that you're just going to grow up in Christian maturity. Just because you accepted him, that's why he talks about it earlier. You know, you're drinking milk, you want to drink milk your whole life. No, grow up, right? Yes, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us with it, but we have our part two. Romans 12, 1 and 2 just, just doesn't happen to us. Yes, we need the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, we need to once again do our part. And you see Paul's urging, his desperate appeal is, now this is what you need to do. And actually, if you, if you read about it, he says, I urge you in, the view, in view of God's mercy. Why does he say that? Because in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he's talking about God's mercy the whole time. He's talking about God being merciful and this whole idea of a person who's suffering, you know, and he doesn't have anything else and he needs something. Someone needs to give him this relief and God is the one who, in his mercy, being merciful is someone relieving that pain that person is in. And then he says, because God has done something like that for you, I urge you now, I plead with you in view of that mercy to offer yourselves, your bodies, and that's a key word there. Your bodies as a living sacrifice. Whenever you talk about sacrifice, of course, the Old Testament and back then in New Testament times, the idea, of course, is an animal that's being sacrificed here. But it's different because in those days, the animals were killed before they were sacrificed. Before they were put on that altar as such. Here in this case, he's not talking about a dead animal. He's talking about a living animal. And of course, instead of having four legs, he's talking about two-legged animals, you and me, basically. Challenging us. Sid, I say this so many times. I pray this prayer so many times. Offer your body on that altar. I like the, the fact that he says bodies right there because... You know, we don't, somehow we think about this internal idea all the time, but he uses the phrase bodies, and I think it's really important, especially uh, if you think about Paul's context and also the context today. Paul's talking about, you know, one of the, especially in the church in Corinth, one of the problems he had was people said, as long as you have Christ in your heart and your spirit's right, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. That's their understanding. That's why Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. He's challenging that mindset and it's there too. And it's not just limited to Corinth, but it's the same thing. That's why he's saying, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And I think it's important for us to know that because I know within our mindset right now, in this casual form of Christianity, you find a lot of people who are okay with the weaknesses that they have. Because grace covers everything, right? So why should I even try? Offer your bodies. Yes, God's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. But that does not negate. God's grace does not negate the fact that I need to discipline my own body into submission to him. Paul talks about it. I beat my body into submission. I'm not talking about self-denial here. I'm talking about disciplining ourselves. Quit making excuses because a lot of people, like casual Christians, make excuses. This is just the way I am. I just got to live with it. God's taking care of me. I'm going to make it to heaven. So why try? 
That's the challenge. Please understand, this is not, we don't do this discipline to earn salvation. Not talking about that at all. Salvation is all God. This is what we do as a result of salvation because we have seen and tasted his grace and his mercy in view of that mercy where he relieved us, saved us from death and hell, if you want to put it that way. That's why we submit our bodies as sacrifices to him. In the view, in view of God's mercies. Again, it's important. I like the fact that he uses that phrase body there because as long as I'm saved, I know a lot of people, I can still do my own thing sometimes. As long as I'm saved, it's okay. It's not okay. You got to earn, not earn salvation, but you got to discipline yourself. Discipline, sacrifice sacrifice is living it's also holy holy the whole idea is being set apart we know that already holiness is talking about being set apart and if you read the whole two uh two verses there it talks about the sacrifice being living holy it also has to be acceptable to god and it is a reasonable act it's not something that's unreasonable It's just a reasonable act of worship if we are really saved and we have an understanding of how much God has done for us in his mercy. What he has really saved us from. Offering our bodies is just a reasonable sacrifice. It's just a reasonable act of worship because we view and realize, recognize God's mercy. It's living, it's holy, it's acceptable to God. What is really acceptable to God? I don't know. It's just there's so many definitions of, of that too. But I challenge myself and I challenge you too. Part of our body is our eyes and our ears. And what do we look at? What movies do we excuse or television shows that we excuse? What do we watch on the internet that listen to stuff on, this, on whatever? Opinions we hear, knowing fully well that these come from a worldly perspective. I'm not talking about something crazy. I'm just talking about stuff that does not build us up and edify us. Yes, we waste our time looking and listening to stuff like that. What about our, our mouths, our tongue, our lips, or whatever? Are those, our words, acceptable to God? What comes out of when we speak? We know this already. Many lives have been blessed by the words we speak. But we also know lives have been destroyed by words that are spoken. Are our words acceptable? An acceptable sacrifice to him. We got to resist our natural urge. It's a natural urge to be negative. I'm telling you that. It's just a natural urge. That we all have natural tendency to be negative. We've got to learn to fight that. Put it all on the altar. Your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet, everything. Your body. Put it on that altar. Put it on that altar. God wants, the point is this. God wants our every moment of our lives. God wants the every moment in our life, whether it's at work, whether it's at the gym, whether it's at home, whether it is just at doing whatever I'm doing with my family. 
God wants that every single moment to be an acceptable sacrifice to him. Everything needs to be on that altar right there. Everything needs to be worship unto him. I love that old song and I don't know if we've sung it here in a while but you know take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Everything Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of your love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful, O oh, for thee. Take my voice and let me sing only for you, my king. Take my gifts and may I use them for thy glory. Church, that's radical living. It's radical living. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about self-denial and, you know, just taking and whipping yourself. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm being practical here. Practical Christian living is a life that is disciplined to be a sacrifice. I love what Eugene Peterson in the message version says. He says, so uh, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Of course, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its, to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I have a suggestion for all of us this, today and something that I challenge all of us. Me too. As you think about it, I want you to go into the day thinking, this is all for you, God. This is all for you, God. This drive I have from home to work, it's for you, God. When I get to work, Lord, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, it's yours, God. Help me, God. It's yours, That's the whole point of putting on the altar is you saying, hey, it's not me. It's all you. I challenge you to do that. God, take every moment of your every day as you walk, as you talk, you go to work, whatever, and be conscious of the fact and keep talking to yourself. Lord, this is for you today. Don't go into the day. I don't think anyone goes into the day saying, okay, today I'm going to sin. I don't think anyone does that at all. But I don't want you to say, okay, God, help me not sin today. I want you to think about and recognize, God, every single thing I do is for you today. Think about it differently. Everything I do, God, is for you. Put it on the altar. Consecration. And the second part is transformation. Transformation, what someone said, is a deliberate determination. As a Christian, it's to think biblically and act according to what it says. Think biblically and act accordingly. 
offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But in order for that to happen, you've got to stop what? Conforming to the world. Stop thinking the way the world thinks and think how the word tells you to think. Do not be conformed to the system of the world. Now more than ever before, I mean, they are literally on opposite sides. You talk about it. You talk, take the simple question as what is the purpose of life? Ask someone out in the world and ask someone who really believes in Christ. You have two radically opposed ideas. What is the meaning in life? Simple question. Ask the world, what does it mean to be successful today? You have a total different idea from someone on the outside. A worldly way of thinking from a, something that's built on God's word. It's radically opposed. What is great? Who's great? Who's your hero? A worldly hero is someone totally different. Someone in the word we know is different. Opposite ideas. We have to be transformed. Not conform. Not conform. I mean think about this the whole time. And this, this is so prevalent right now. Failures are for losers. That's what they think. That's how they think. You know, when you fail, you're just a loser. Everything. And they make fun of you and pull you down. But the truth is this. It's not, failure is not a sign of weakness. Please understand this. That it is in your failures, in those weaknesses, that God's strength is made perfect. That's what it is. And I'll be honest. I think I've learned more lessons in my failures than I have in my successes. Because God has come through for me. In my brokenness, he comes through for me. That's what we want. Don't be, trans, be transformed. Stop thinking like the world, but pick up what God says in his word and live our lives according to that. Again, this is radically different. We're not trying to be weird here. We're just trying to be different. It's a different mentality. When you think about it and say and consciously make that decision, God today is for you. It's thinking biblically, not like the world. Because the world says today is my day. I got to make something about my life today. Yes, to an extent. But the truth is this is God's day. Doesn't matter what's going to happen. I will rejoice and be glad. That's God's way of thinking. Be transformed in the way we think. Transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, this is yours and only yours. Again, think about it. It's just, it really comes down, this cliche, we're playing and living, not playing, we're living for an audience of one. That's really it. We are transformed in our mind when we realize more and more that we live for an audience of one, nothing else. Nothing else. Christ-centered. Someone said Christ-centered a hero doesn't need to be noticed or publicized. The greatest deeds are done before an audience of one, and that is enough. We don't do and live our lives for recognition. We don't live our lives. You know, I, we need to care less about what people think and what God thinks about the way I live my life. Really, that's it. Consecrated and transformed is living for an audience of one and only one. Not looking for the applause. Not looking for the approval. Not looking so that people like me. That's all it is really. You know how many likes did I get on my Facebook page? How many hearts did I get on Instagram? That's how we judge success sometimes. 
People get mad. I mean, I, I work in a high school. I know. Oh, I only got like 50 likes. Oh, only 50 people saw my video and liked it. That's not what it's about. It's about living for an audience of one. Let's be honest. How many of us spent last, last week worrying about what someone else thought about you? How many of us spent time thinking about what did that other person think about me today? That's such a waste of time because it really doesn't matter. What matters is what God says about me and what God thinks about me. Focus, that's the transformation we need to see in our mind where we see and we act genuinely. Not out of arrogance, not out of pride, not with a I'm up there and you are down here. We don't do it that way. We don't live our lives to point a finger at them and tell them that they're mad or they're crazy and going to hell. But we live our lives in humility, looking for God's approval. Will he approve of the way I live my life today? Pleasing and acceptable to him. Renew our minds. Our minds need to be transformed. Transformed by his word. It's not, I mean, the word, this is, this is crept into the church. If it feels good, it must be good. We live and do so much stuff just based on a feeling. So much more now, I feel. Forget about the truth and one standard. It's about how we feel. If it feels right, therefore it must be right. If everybody else feels right, thinks it's okay, then it's okay. No, it's the word that is the standard. It's not about feelings. God's not going to ask me at the end of the... Honestly, that's it. God's not going to ask me when I get to heaven. He's like, oh, how did you feel about it? No. Did you live my life according? Did you live your life according to your word? Was your mind transformed? Was your body offered as a sacrifice? That's what he's going to look for and ask me. Not how I felt about it. Let me transform by the word of God. It's not about pleasing others. It's not about pleasing me. It's about pleasing God. Does he say, well done, good and faithful. Getting it right in his eyes. Do I live my life and how does that measure up against scripture? God's standard. We, again, we don't do this in pride with a chip on our shoulders that we have some, we are sp- something special because God saved us and everything else. Yes, we are special, but we don't go about bragging about that. But we got to live our life so that when we are really transformed, people will notice the difference Christ makes in us. They will notice a difference because we are not willing to compromise and go according to what the world says. But we are willing to live our lives and hold unswervingly to the truth of his word. Be transformed, consecrated, and transformed. That's the only way to live your life because that's when it says you'll be able to test his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Consecration and transformation. Here's the thing, I know nobody can judge what's really happening in your heart. You are the only one who can be that judge. Because you can fake it. I mean, you have, I was going to give an example of a pastor, but anyway, it doesn't matter. People on the outside are great. But what's happening on the inside, only you know and only God knows. You got to learn to get your inside. You got to be honest with yourself as you offer your bodies as sacrifices to him. 
Is the way I live my life acceptable and pleasing to him? Renew our minds. Be transformed. Am I allowing? And think with me. Ask yourself this question. Am I allowing the culture in this world to determine how I live my life more and more now? Am I making? Because something we want to make it again. Please, the gospel was never meant to be like this nice, attractive fruit lying in there. But at the same time, yes, it is totally worth it to serve Christ. I'm not saying come follow Christ because it's a horrible thing to do. No, but take time to dig in to know who and what you are following. Because then you will be really committed to it. Our attitude has to be that, like that of Jesus Christ, basically. If it's not, we need to renew our minds. Renew our minds. How do I react when people hurt me? Do I turn the other cheek or do I punch them in the... F- in, in, you know, somehow, and this is, this is Christians justifying it, and I, you see this all the time. We justify the way we think because we don't act on the way we think. I didn't punch him in his face, but it's okay for me to think that. It's true. We justify a lot of our thought life because we don't put it into action. I want to kill that guy. But it's talking about the renewing of our mind. Just because you don't act on something you are thinking, let me tell you this, you've already lost. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Is the world influencing your thought life? Or is your thought life, your mind being transformed and renewed by God? Again, church, God has his part to play. We have our part to play. This determination, we, God is not going to drag you and put you on that altar. God is not going to force you to get up there. That's why Paul urges us. You. You get on there. Offer your bodies. As living sacrifices to him. Bow your heads with me at this time. Please understand that. Even this willingness and the strength to get on that altar. We can't do that on our own. We need God's, we need God's strength even for that. I always say this and you got to take that first step. God is going to take those 99 steps with you. But you've got to take that first step. Not talking about salvation here at all. The Holy Spirit will give us the strength to overcome. Please don't ever settle. Please don't ever settle for to this form of casual Christians where we, we, we settle for that. Well, this is just who I am. And justify things in our life that we're not willing to work on. Oh, I tried and this is just who I am. You know, I tried before. That's not an excuse. 
God will give you the strength. You got to keep trying. Well, Paul said, you know, I prayed for this three times, nothing happened. So he said, you know, I'll just live with it. That's something totally different. Listen to what Paul says here. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, do you really know what He saved you from? It's that mercy that He's shown on us. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Consecrate yourself. The Lord declares us righteous. We're not going to earn that righteousness. But if you read scripture, consecration, God tells them, consecrate yourself. I think about Moses, consecrate yourself before I come down and meet with you. That's our job right there. Consecrate and then allow him to transform. Do not be conformed or do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Take every thought. God, this is for you. Take everything you do from the time you get up. Try it for one day. Try it for one day. From the time you open your eyes to the time you go back to bed. Everything. Just take it. Be conscious. Say, God, this is for you. This is for you. This is for you. My drive here is for you. The people I'm going to talk to at work, at school, this is for you. And we got to model this transformation and renewing of our mind to the next generation. It's really true. I can't tell Aiden and Alyssa and, and Amara to, to renew their minds if I don't live my life. Transform the way I think and live that for him. It's not something we just talk about. It's something we model to the next generation too. There is, go back to the beginning. There is no room for casual Christianity. You're either all in or you're not. Let me make a statement and if this 
bothers you, come and talk to me later. We don't need more believers. We need more committed ones. Because the devil, he believes. We don't need more believers. We need people who are committed. Driven by the fact that they don't want to be influenced by the world. But want to be consecrated. And transformed. Totally committed. Don't get on. Let me tell you this. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Don't get on that altar as a sacrifice and always have a plan B. If this doesn't work out, I'll find a way out of this altar. Slip out from here. That's not being all in. If you're going to do it, go all the way. That's what he demands of us. So stand and worship God.